Hello, everybody. Before we get started, we want to tell you about Rico Symposium, the gathering of some of the most influential thinkers in the coffee industry, which returns this April 18th through the 19th to Seattle, Washington. The SCA is now accepting submissions to the Rico Fellowship Program, benefiting individuals who may be new to the coffee industry or for a variety of reasons, including financial, have not had the opportunity to attend. Learn more about the Rico Fellowship and register to join us in celebrating Rico's 10th anniversary at ricosymposium.org. That's ricosymposium.org. Also returning this April 19th through the 22nd is the SCA's Specialty Coffee Expo, coming once again to Seattle, Washington. Join us at the Washington State Convention Center for the world's largest specialty coffee trade show, featuring lectures like the one you're about to listen to, courses from the SCA's new coffee skills program, interactive experiences like uppers and downers, the U.S. Coffee Championships, and so much more. Learn more and register at coffeeexpo.org. That's coffeeexpo.org. Okay, let's get started with the podcast. Welcome to the SCA Lectures podcast series, brought to you by Olam Specialty Coffee, connecting roasters to the finest specialty green coffees. The following is a talk presented live at the 2017 Global Specialty Coffee Expo, the largest annual gathering of specialty coffee professionals. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Rob Steven. Uh, I work for Olam Specialty Coffee. It's I'm Mark Inman. I also work for Olam Specialty Coffee. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, effective strategies for um, green coffee buyers. And uh, we've been doing this, this lecture now for about five years. Uh, I think this is our fifth year. Uh, every year, uh, my hair gets thinner and his gets better. Um, I think we can all agree he's gone too far this time. So, um, <laughs> Uh, so what we, uh, sort of the, the, the genesis of this panel was, you know, we're both traders, but we both used to be roasters and, and uh, in other parts of, of the supply chain. And when we became traders, we realized that there was a, a lot of things that we thought we knew that were wrong or things that we didn't know at all that would have helped us uh, when we were buyers. And uh, so we sort of put this together um, to pass some of those along uh, in, a, in a sort of uh, easily digestible format, um, and also in some ways to make our lives easier because the better uh, people are as buyers, the easier it is for us to uh, actually connect them with the copies that they need. So, Yeah, and in addition to that, um, Rob and I's background, uh, we're both former presidents of the SCA, well, now it's the SCA. Uh, Rob has been a Q instructor grader uh, for a long time, a consultant, um, I was the former chair of the Roasters Guild and the former chair of the World Barista Championship. Uh, so we've worked in various aspects of this industry, as well as being you know, young roasters who thought we knew everything, and then up and coming throughout the industry working on committees and things like that, and then now on the trade side. You know, the bigger impetus for this for me is to have you guys not make the expensive mistakes that we made when we were uh, doing the things that we were doing. So if we save you money, then uh, you're welcome. This will be a worthwhile class for you. Uh, so just so we can get a, a handle on, on uh, what we, you know, sort of who we're talking with, how many people here are either buyers or are about to become buyers? Great. And wow. of you, how many of you own your company? Okay. Good to know. Good to know. How many of you are owners and employ a green uh, buyer? 
You, you could be shy with that hand back there. <laughs> one, one hand? Okay. There's a little bit that'll be focused on you. Yep. So, all right, good. Well, so this is sort of our, our agenda today. We want to talk about um, uh, both uh, what makes a, a green coffee buyer effective in terms of what they have and also who they are. Not everyone is cut out to be a, a, an effective uh, green coffee buyer, so there are some personal qualities that are uh, really sort of important for success. Uh, then there's some things that you need and some things that you need to know. And so we want to sort of uh, go through these slide by slide and then leave some time for questions at the end. There's usually some good questions at the end. Um, and so uh, let's start with, with personal quality. So Mark and I spent a lot of time on the phone with uh, buyers. And, and we're talking about buyers at every stage from I just bought my first roaster and it's a, it's a five kilo uh, or, a, or a probitone or a, you know, big... Uh, desktop kind of roaster, you know, uh, all the way up to people who buy, uh, you know, a container every day, that kind of thing. And so everything in between. Um, and there's some, everyone's different, and every company's different, and everyone has a different point of view on coffee, and we, we like that and we celebrate that, but we find some common threads uh, as we uh, deal with people who are really good at their job. I, I would say, in addition to a lot of people that are wanting to get into this side of the business. For one, it's the one uh, job in the coffee chain that everybody eventually wants to be a part of. And they, they want to be a part of it usually for all the wrong reasons. So one of the, one of the things, we, we'll talk about tools later on, one of the tools that you don't need is a bullwhip, a gun. Uh, you're not going to be uh, sleeping under a car like Todd Carmichael in Haiti. It's, it's, that's a part of the job, but the glorification of a, a pseudo-Indiana Jones is not what this job, uh, to be good at this job, is not what it entails. Yeah, it's actually a great way to be not good at your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so start with temperament, and, and temperament is, is uh, one of those, those words that uh, people throw around, but it's really about how you handle the ups and downs uh, of, the, of whatever uh, situation that you're in, and there's a lot of ups and downs uh, as coffee buyers. For example, if anyone's watching the coffee market right now, it's been falling like a rock, right? And we are at a trade show. Um, this is the last place I would like to be today. I would like to be at my desk selling coffee to people who are happy that the market is falling. And you're all here too, right? And so how are we handling that, right? You know, at the end of the day, you have to realize that things go up, things go down, opportunities come, they go, and it's about being steady through those things. People who panic usually make bad decisions. And so uh, sometimes people are prone to panic because that's their personality, and sometimes people panic because they don't have all the things they need and they don't know all the things that they know. So one of the first things we, we sort of counsel people when they're uh, overly excited uh, about where they are in their job is, is we try and diagnose whether it's, it's, a, it's because you don't know the things you need to know or it's because of, because of who you are. And the second part we, we can't really help with. But. <laughs> and, and if you're working with an importer who feeds off that panic and is using that as a tool to get you to buy, you should get away from that person quickly. Because if I'm taking advantage of you and you're, if I'm not trying to temper that panic or trying to say, look, let's look at this a different way. If I'm just saying, okay, let's, let's sell you right now and get you into whatever I can get you into, uh, it's not a relationship ultimately that's going to be helpful or serve you very well. So pay attention to that cue. Even if you're a new, who's a newer buyer? Like they've been doing it for a couple of years. So, you know, it's exciting, and there's a lot going on. And, like, today, like, I was, you know, writing con- or, you know, selling contracts on my phone, like, quickly because people are, like, wanting to jump in today. That's one type of panic. But if you're, like, you know, I need to get out of this room right now because I'm going to miss some deal, 
your traders should say, look, I'll take care of you, don't worry about it. That, that should be the relationship that's going on. Yep. Um, the next thing that we really like to uh, highlight here is, is critical thinking. Um, the long view always matters. Even if you have a startup business and it's bootstrapping and everything, every day is different, there's still that sort of star on the horizon. Where, who do I want to be? Where do I want to be? And being able to, uh, to analyze uh, all the different offers you get, uh, all the, the different samples, all the different pricing, everything uh, all the way through um, with a clear head and to analyze that and then make, make decisions, um, that really does separate uh, effective buyers from, from non-effective buyers. Uh, impulsivity, uh, impulsivity, which should not be confused with being decisive, but just sort of, yeah, that looks shiny, I'll grab that. That uh, tends to lead to decisions that end up uh, putting companies in bad places, especially uh, when there's, which is why Mark asked, if, when there's buyers who work for owners and they're trying to sort of set up set up their own little uh, uh, power center kind of thing. Um, it, it's that critical thinking, being able to look at the data and being able to um, really be sort of dispassionate about what it is that you're going to do. In addition to that, I would say, uh, you know, the, the relationship between an importer and a buyer is a partnership. And in many ways, if you're a business owner, if you're working with an importer who's thinking about your needs all the time, it's like having a free employee. So like right now in my head, if I get you know, offers or if I see coffees, I'm thinking about five roasters that I know like, oh, they, this fits their needs and that fits their needs and this fits their needs. And if you have that kind of relationship, that's the type of part, a, a good buyer is going to key into that and really you know, intertwine themselves with a, a, an importer or trader that is actually working to better their life you're going to get importers that are flooding you to work with you. But if they're not there as a resource for you, if they're not there to help you, you're, they may throw you some crazy deal every once in a while. But ultimately, a great buyer, a buyer who makes it for the long haul, has a tight-knit community of importers and sometimes exporters that they work with that are huge resources for them. And this, at the end of the day, is about personal relationships and one where I want to see you grow to be great because when you grow and if, if that loyalty has been re returned to me, then we both do better. And, and, my, and I'm only as good to you as uh, the, the business that I help you build. Right. And the way that we figure out what it is that you need is, is the next point, which is communication skills. Um, and so uh, communication is when done right, in any aspect of, of sort of human relations, is two-way, right? And so um, it's being able to uh, articulate your needs and also to listen to what's being told you. Now, obviously, we're all bred to sort of filter out salesy stuff, uh, but uh, hearing from multiple sources, you know, it's going to be a bad crop this year, uh, or, um, you know, this this country is, is having problems or this country is doing great and there's this new region and in hearing it and registering it and then being able to say, I would be interested in that or I'm having this trouble uh, filling this need in my business and can you make recommendations? And those conversations that, uh, you know, one of the things that we complain about a lot on our side of the table is, is that so much gets done by email now. And it is almost impossible to have a quality conversation through email. So I tell all the people that I work with that email is great for transactions, releasing coffee, uh, setting up, you know, uh, buys for contracts and things like that. If you want to actually get something done, get on the phone, right? And so if you don't have a relationship with your network of suppliers uh, that you can talk to, then there's a fundamental problem there. And you have to, so you have, on the personal side, you need to be able to have that quality conversation, but you need to have it. 
as well. And I think that is probably uh, a sort of, um, you know, good communication skills. You see that all the time on all sorts of things. But it's probably one of the absolute um, winning and losing uh, qualities for, for good buyers is being able to, to communicate really well. And to strengthen that point, I would say that as a coffee buyer, you are responsible for the largest outlay of cash in your company. You're also responsible for guaranteeing profit for your company through your buying practices that allows for profitability on the sale of coffee. A container of coffee can cost $150,000. To have that conversation, to buy something like that on an email or a text is foolish. I mean, would you buy a house like that? Would you buy a car like that, this could make or break your company. And so that level of communication is key to the survival of not only your position in that company, but the company itself. So, so having meaningful dialogue one-on-one and as well as requesting frequent visits by your importer, like come into my plant, see how we do what we do, understand the nature of my business, and making the time for that is key to surviving in this business. So if you blend those three together, and, and then we, you know, we talk about decisiveness. Um, so I feel really confident doing business with somebody who is um, level-headed, has thought about the, their business needs, has communicated what they need to me, and when I present them with what they need, is able to say yes. Right? That's good business. Right? I feel good about it. They feel good about it. And that's the kind of business that grows both organizations. Right? And so it's um, one of the sort of things that, I mean, it's no skin off, off our back, but one of the things that, that uh, sort of is a shame that we see all the time is we put something in front of somebody that we know is what they need, and they can't say yes to it because they either haven't thought all the way through about their options, or they are not empowered to make a decision, or they're too afraid to make a decision. And so better is the enemy of good, and they keep waiting, and the option that they finally say yes to is many degrees worse than what the original thing was. And so I'm always trying to coach people to say, get to the place where when you see what you need, you can say yes to it. Whatever that takes, whatever it takes. If it takes being, uh, you know, spending more time with your spreadsheet, more time talking to your stakeholders, more time looking at your, at your coffee menu, more time soul searching, whatever it takes. Just get to the place where when that thing comes in front of you, you can say yes and feel good about it. That right there is... When I deal with really effective and good coffee buyers, when they say yes, they mean it. There's never any sort of like, yeah, I think I, think I want that. No, no, it's, yeah, we'll take that, that sort of thing. That's good business. And so if you're, not, if you're feeling like when you're looking at, when you're buying coffee, there's a, a, a sense of sort of tentativeness or, or hesitancy, you should go back to your own place and sort of think about what it is that's, that's keeping you from being uh, confident and decisive. And for those of you that are buyers, that are employees, who's a buyer that's an employee of a company? It's not your own. Okay, so a decent amount of you. Now, again, going back to the idea that everybody wants to be the green buyer, and people will you know, walk through fire sometimes to, to have that job. If every time you're on the phone with someone like Rob and, and that moment comes where you ask for this and he found that, and you say, I have to go back and check with the owner or somebody other than myself, that's not a job you want to be in. It's, 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 a, it's a part of your job that you need to iron out immediately. And if you're negotiating, if, if you're in the audience here and you're thinking about becoming a green buyer and you're out interviewing, 
you need to know that you have the, the power and the ability to do your job and not have to check in with anybody. Because what ends up happening, if Rob can sense that every time he calls you and, and is working hard for you and finds what you need and you say, I need to check with somebody, Rob's going to say, who is that person? And then that's the last time he talks to you and now he's talking to whoever you need to check with. And then you become basically cut off at the knees in your own job. And so that's, that's the, because this business moves too fast. I mean, especially coffees that we have to dig and find for you and do a lot of legwork. We got 19 other people we can sell that to. And we're not going to wait three days while you, you know, go back and forth with somebody who is not really doing the job of green buyer, but is holding the checkbook and has to make all the final decisions. Uh, it becomes a very frustrating relationship. Yeah. So notice we put good cupper last. It's really important to be a good cupper when you're a coffee buyer, but that's sort of price of entry. Um, uh, the the there's this Seattle is is just has an embarrassment of good cuppers here this this weekend, and if that's what it was, everybody would be a coffee buyer. So um, important, great to be a Q grader, great to, to always work on your skills. I I still cup uh, as many days a week as possible, but that's not what makes me um, decent at my job. It's just something that I have to do. It's like being able to drive to work. So um, in order to uh, enable that, uh, you need some resources. Um, so as Mark was saying, info and influence, right? So uh, an, an empowered buyer versus a non-empowered buyer, uh, there's, a, there's a big difference, especially when we're talking about parameters. Like I can buy coffee with, with, when the market's between here and here or when the differentials are between here and here, or I can buy up to this much without having to check in. To, to have pre-negotiated that, and you don't have to communicate that outwardly, but to know where your uh, empowerment stops, that's a key to effectiveness because then you become a good, good negotiating partner. And, um, you know, no matter who the trader is that's dealing with you, they're, they're under pressure. Uh, every time they, they offer you something, they've asked somebody for something because it's a trading relationship, right? So they're buying everything that they sell. And so there's somebody behind them going, hey, remember that thing you said you were going to buy for me? How's that going? Hey, how about now? How about now? 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 Now we get drowned in texts and emails and WhatsApps and things from, from Origin saying, you know, we offered you coffee as far as we're concerned. We've sold it to you. So when are you going to buy it? And so if we offer it out to somebody and they take three days to get back, that becomes extraordinarily uncomfortable and we do that less and less. Right? So that empowered buyer gets the coffees that they want because they're the ones that make the trader able to actually do the good business. Right? So empowerment, super important. Um, uh, so we deal with a lot of smaller roasters, a lot of startup roasters, uh, a lot of roasters that are um, trying to learn the business, trying to learn all the coffees that are out there. Um, great. Love it. We send so many samples that I could die. Uh, but the non-starter is, can you roast those for me? Now, if you're going to be a buyer, you need to have a sample roaster. Sorry to be the one to tell you that. <laughs> there is definitely a, um, uh, there's a sort of, like, we'll bootstrap and we'll get that later. Um, you'll never get the coffees you want if you don't have a sample roaster. So just flat out, kind of. I'm happy to, happy to sort of argue that with anyone during the Q&A, but it's, it's definitely uh, something that we've, we feel strongly about. Um, well, and conversely, the, the, the way around that a lot of the times is, is uh, buyers will say, well, what's the best Colombian you have? Or what's the best Ethiopian? For what purpose? What are you doing with it? I don't know. And is my taste aligned with your taste? And, you know, if we're just talking cup score, that's not good enough. So, you know, there are things like 
I need to roast for a grocery store uh, blend and it needs to be you know, no more than 225 a pound, it'd be nice if I get it at 84 up. Those are parameters that you could almost skip a sample roaster, but at some point you need to be talking the same language as myself. And, and I would say, I, I don't know where Rob sits on this, but you do not need to go nuts with your sample roaster. There, everybody thinks you need to run out and buy a $15,000 one-barrel roaster. Uh, you know, if anybody who, who's ever followed Sweet Maria's or uses their website or rips stuff off their website, we all do that. Okay, <laughs> only you, you're the only person that goes to Sweet Maria's? <laughs> Holy cow. Well, the rest of you need to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Tom is a gigantic proponent of going to any gr- uh, garage sale in your neighborhood and buying an air popcorn popper. That actually works as a sample roaster, and it actually works quite well. You could roast great coffee on that until you burn the motors out because you're using it so much, and then you go on to other things. So especially talking to your importer about, look, I, I only have this much money to spend on a sample roaster. What do you suggest? I mean, I was a roaster. Rob was a roaster. Many of us in the trade have been that before, and we all, you know, I started roasting in a barn on a, you know, I had drove a 57 Chrysler Windsor to deliver coffee. I mean, it's, I, I know bootstrap, and so I could uh, definitely steer you in the right direction. But you don't have to go for the gold option always. It's, of course, it's nice to have the greatest tools in the tool shed, but there are, in, the, in the world of roasting, there's a lot of options at every price point you can imagine. Yep, and people moving up and out, so the thing that they bootstrapped with, they're happy to unload to the next person up, and there's always stuff out there, eBay, Craigslist, all that good stuff. Anyway, um, the last thing, and just a minor point, but actual uh, available time to do the job, um, if you are, um, you know, if, it's, it's sort of uh, analogy of like, you know, uh, when someone texts you and then you text them immediately back and you don't get a text for 15 minutes and you think that they texted you and then threw their phone out the window. It's sort of, that happens a lot. Like, hey, give me an offer. And then you, you give them an offer and then you don't hear back for three days because like, oh man, I was like, I was in Bolivia doing, doing my thing. It's like, you know, the time management is, is critical because things move really fast. Uh, so not to belabor that point, but... So this, this, is, um, this is a concept. I think most people wouldn't accuse themselves of not knowing what they want, uh, but we find this to be pervasive. Uh, people thinking they know what they want, um, but then when you, we ask just a few questions and dig beneath the surface, we find that um, they either have a misunderstanding of what they want or they just don't know what they want and they're, and they're sort of repeating things that they've heard that other, other people want. Um, I firmly believe that I've worked for a lot of different coffee companies and uh, companies that nobody would confuse for each other, uh, but they were successful because they had a point of view. They had, a, they had a, uh, something that they wanted to say with coffee, and we don't all need to say the same thing. As a matter of fact, it's best that we don't. Uh, but without, um, without that point of view, it's hard to know what you want. Right? And so the, the difficult conversations that we have are, I was in the paper warehousing business and I made a lot of money and coffee seems great, so I bought a roaster. And I'm nowhere with that person, right? It's like, you know, okay, well, what do you want to say about coffee? Well, coffee's great. Okay, so it's going to be really difficult for us to have a, a well-articulated relationship about the coffees that are going to work best for your business because you don't know what you want. Right? And so um, if you're a buyer working for someone else, your job is to figure out what they want, what they want to say with coffee. If it's your job to uh, make that point of view for somebody else who just really likes coffee, which is a really smart hire, if you own a coffee company and you don't know that much about coffee or you're not uh, as passionate about it, to find someone who has something to say is a great hire. But wh- whatever way you go, that person needs to be able to articulate what they want. 
Yeah, and I would say the one thing, the, the common issue that comes up is <clears throat> where I have to have like the, the sit-down talk is we only buy coffee that's 92 plus or 95 plus. Well, what, what are you reading? Are you reading Ken David's Coffee Review? Because that's not how importers talk. And, and you know, there's a reason why many importers don't put cup scores up on their website, and that's for the simple reason that in our world, an 86-point coffee or an 87 is an outstanding, stellar coffee. But when you guys submit to Coffee Review, you get a 97 back or a 95. It's a completely different set of parameters. So I've had the, you know, I'm looking for, you know, this. And I say, well, I got this unbelievable Kenya. What did you guys score? An 87? And they're like, click, and they hang up. And it's like, okay, but that's the coffee you're looking for. So understanding the, the, the scale of what you're looking for as well if you're dealing with cup scores. Um, secondly is the best. You know, people say, I want the best I can get. Well, if you're blending, sometimes the top grade is not actually what you need, and you'll actually do better with a lower grade mixed with something different. And so the idea of what are you trying to accomplish then opens that dialogue further to then let's, let's approach this as a creative problem to solve. And many times we end up saving you money in that, in that world. So if you're just mixing grade one Yergs with great, you know, top end guats and some geisha, wonderful. You've loaded a bunch of jewels in a bag, but it, together it doesn't work. It tastes like crap. And then you get frustrated as to why that happened. Well, I bought the best. Why, why did I not accomplish the goal? Because blending doesn't work that way. I, mean, I was a former winemaker, and the way you blend a wine is not just throwing in the top grapes. It doesn't work that way. Um, and so that's, that's another area where that partnership and understanding what you're trying to accomplish, we end up doing more service for you than disservice. So uh, when you learn any trade, and, and let's be very clear that coffee buying is, is a trade, um, there are traditions, there are uh, terminology, there, there's jargon, there's tools that um, people in the trade have used for a long time, and, and as much as you might want to uh, sort of buck the system, um, you know, you need to learn the rules before you can break them kind of thing. Uh, and so um, the homework that needs to get done uh, is uh, learning standards and terminology, uh, and there is a lot of them, right? And so there's two ways to learn them, but they both sort of come down to the same thing. So I was lucky enough to get what I sort of call a proper apprenticeship, where I worked for a, uh, in a, grou a group of experienced people who taught me things over time, and I was willing to take the time and do the menial work to learn them. I don't think those opportunities exist very much anymore. Um, when, if they ever do, if you're ever presented with that, take it, right? But um, you know, I, real I look back at my apprenticeship and realize I should have been paying them uh, for all the dividends that it got. But instead, most people get into coffee. The barrier to entry is really low, and you just work uh, you chip away at it every day. Well, uh, how do you get good at anything? It's study and practice. And so one of the first things I, I tell people when they start spending money on coffee is you need to learn how contracts work and you need to learn um, how we describe things because casual talk uh, about spending money is where people get into trouble and where feelings get hurt and where people um, start to get angry, right? So we're talking about contracts. We're talking about you agree to do this, and if you don't, it will cost you money, or you will lose things, or whatever. And uh, same thing on the other side. And so contracts, and then terminology, um, you know, the best is not something you can put on a contract. We need to be super specific about things. So it's not within the scope of this lecture to tell you what all those are, but we can tell you that the resources are out there. For example, 
if you go to the Green Coffee Association of America website. They, the Green Coffee Association of America is a big company that has one product and it's the Green Coffee contract and they give it away for free. Um, it's an amazing business model. Uh, and, and they, uh, so you can download their 80 page XML contract uh, and read it, all 80 pages, and learn all the contract terms, FOB, X Warehouse, uh, all the, the different um, sort of contract terms. And if you do that, you're, you are now uh, at a level up in the trade. Whereas if you're just sort of like, wait a minute, freight's not included, how does that work? Why didn't it show up? You know, you're in a different box of someone who hasn't taken the time to learn the trade yet. If your job as a coffee buyer is to get access to great coffees for your company, in order to um, sort of put yourself in a position to have that access, you need to put yourself there. And you do that by learning the trade, right? So if there's anything you were gonna spend time on as a new coffee buyer, Learning the standards, learning the terminology, learning how contracts work is the most effective use of your time, bar none, guaranteed. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's where you see a lot of confusion. Uh, people, when you buy coffee, we issue you a contract, and all of a sudden it comes back signed, and we assume you got, you got all the terms. And then later, when there's a difference, we're like, then why did you sign that? I mean, it's, uh, it, it gets confusing, but... Unlike Rob, I did not have that tutelage. I uh, made the mistakes and hunted and pecked my way through the system. And it is an expensive learning process. I probably spent five times that Rob spent learning uh, how to get to where we are today. Um, you know, for many of you, uh, X warehouse would never be something you deal with. This is usually for larger companies who have their own position at a warehouse. You're dealing with FOT. You're definitely dealing with prepay. Net terms, uh, you know, if you're applying for terms, we'll talk, I think, later in the slide about why you should be uh, a good buyer on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, what a lot of us did, in the, for those of us who own their own business, who owns their own company and is their own green buyer? Okay, so, you know, like you guys, I did that, and I used the importer as a bank for 0% interest loan. Right? I'd buy coffee. I had net 30 terms, and great, thanks for giving me the terms. I'll pay you a net, you know, whenever I feel like it, and constantly tell you I'm this rising star, and you'd be a fool to drop me, so keep, you know, letting me be late and don't give me late charges. And, you know, back in the day when it was, you know, us and Intelli and counterculture and all these people were, you know, rising and coming out of nowhere, Stumptown, the importers were like, oh, my God, we, you know, we gotta, we're going to sell tons of these guys. But the, our buying practices were sloppy as hell. And then after 2008, the trade didn't give a crap who you were. You had to stay within your terms, so they took them away from you because credit in general was very limiting. So you know, maybe one day that will return where you could use the importer like a bank, and it was fun while it lasted, but it no longer exists. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say, again, we're talking about the, the purpose of this lecture is how to be an effective coffee buyer. And so, you, again, you want to put yourself and your company in position to have access to the best coffees. And there is a multitude of considerations that puts roasters in that place where they get what everybody else wants, the coffees that people are jealous of. And one of them is uh, how they manage their contracts and how they pay their bills, right? And so if you know what you want and you know what's important to you, um, you look at something as menial as, as how you uh, 
treat your, your financial matters um, as part of your coffee buying job. Again, best coffee buyers, we, we're sharing best practices. They do that. They know that if they stay on their terms and they are um, you know, scrupulous with their contracts, that's, those are people that we really want to do business with, right? And so when it, and how do you keep the best buyers in line? You give them the best coffee, yeah. right? And it's just, it's just that simple, right? And so it's not like we'll sell coffee to everybody, but at the end of the day, those preferred customers got to be preferred by knowing the trade and uh, living up to their obligations and being professional, right? The biggest compliment I ever give in this industry is professional, right? Because somebody who knows the trade and acts within its, its uh, sort of norms and codes, and it's like, that's a person that I want to do business with all day long. Um, and so contract terms, pricing considerations, delivery terms, um, those are all uh, boring and logistical and menial, but they are things that... Um, uh, when people are able to live within them and communicate them really well, they get access to those great coffees. Um, do you want to do the SAS rant now? Should we do the SAS rant now? Yeah, but I would, <laughs> I would first say, <clears throat> again, th this room or this presentation today is about teaching you guys these terms and to get comfortable and to make you a better buyer. So during the Q&A, and we're, you know, usually we run right up against the clock, and, and then everybody's like, I had like 50 questions for you. We're blasting through this so we can get your questions. So if there is any of these terms you want us to define and explain to you and explain to you how to do it right, please ask during the question. We, last time we would just run through 50 of them just to think what are the key ones. And some of them you guys already know and some of them you don't. But we all had to learn these at some time, so please ask it. But now we'll get on to the SAS rant. Um, I'll do SAS NANS and you do replace. Yeah, well, let's just talk about it in, in concept first. It's sort of like if there was a toolbox... Um, uh, and you had to fix something, it's like, it's, it's uh, the most useful tool in the toolbox, and if you only could grab one tool in the toolbox, you know, and you didn't know what the thing you had to fix, it's like, as a coffee buyer, the SAS portion of a contract is your secret weapon, right? And so if you don't know what that means, that's the very first thing you should be thinking is, I don't know what SAS means. Who doesn't know what that means? Okay, okay good. You guys are about to get your money's worth today. They paid nothing for that. Oh, shoot. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so SAS is, uh, so let me put it this way. If I'm, I'm cupping some offer samples and I say, oh my God, I found a coffee this guy would like. I call him up. I say, hey, I just cupped something that's in your wheelhouse. It is amazing. Trust me, you want to lock this up. You know, we're going to put it on the water. He hasn't had a chance to cup it. I only have a little sample. So if he trusts me on this, he doesn't have to trust me implicitly because it's not about that. He'll say, okay, I need 10 bags of something that amazing. Let's write it up S-A-S-N-A-N-S. -S. And that means subject to approval of sample, no approval, no sale. So at this point, he doesn't have to take my word for it. At, when the coffee lands, so he's booking it way in advance. This is before it's even gone on the water. Let's say it's a, a Kenyan, so it's 45 days in transit, where, you know, then stripping, then the sample. So he's two months ahead. The sample come or the coffee lands. I pull the sample. I give it to him, and I do my best to describe it so we're not rejecting it based on I just didn't feel the groove, man. You know, or something like that, which does come up. Um, you cup it. You're like, yeah, it's exactly what I wanted. At that point, you just bought the coffee. If he said, you're way off. This is not at all what we like. You don't own the coffee. It's not your problem. It's, then you reject it. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. 
lot of buyers think, well, where's the catch? Why, why are you pitching me this? Like, where, where is this a timeshare deal where all of a sudden, you know, I can't get out of it? It's not that at all. But there are ways to abuse that and ways to not get that. The, the main reason is why that, that thing is the best thing to take advantage of is because numerous times uh, roasters will say, God, I wish I could get access to the Kenyans that Hart gets. Or, God, you know, how did these other companies get this stuff and I've never offered it because they're buying it all SAS. And they come in, they know early what they're looking for, and they book it up. But if you're waiting for coffee to land and be on a spot sheet and you're buying coffee on a spot sheet, you're whatever's left over half the time. Not that all spot coffee's bad, but there's certain coffees that are going out in advance, which is probably half of what we do, which is pre-sold before it even lands. Now, where this doesn't work and where you'll get away with this only one time is I'll say, I've got a container of mixed micro lots coming in from Kenya. They're all between three and five bags each or, you know, ten bags. Okay, I want to SAS the top ten lots, five bags each. And then the coffee lands and you only needed five bags, so you cup all ten, you reject nine and keep one. You can't do that. That's that. You're just cherry picking to try to find the best. And meanwhile, you've tied up all those other top lots to keep us from selling them. So you have to SAS what you actually need. Because if we see a rejection rate at much more than you actually buy, we just call you and say that, or we just don't even offer you that anymore. I've had customers call me, hey, I want to do this SAS. Sorry, man, we're not doing that anymore. You know, and here's the reason why. So you get, you get one shot at that. But if you play it by the rules, it's an outstanding tool to get your hands on great coffees based on the description that, that, that a trader is going to give you. It could be, you know, I'm looking for something super bright and lemony, something really clean uh, from this region, and it needs to cup at this level. We're going to sell you that in advance. So, so let, me, let me, all the things that we've talked about up to this point, the qualities, the resources, the empowerment, the temperament, if you have demonstrated all these things and you know what you want and you're able to articulate it, then I'm in a position to say, this coffee, which I could sell nine times between now and when it gets here, I'm going to reserve for you because you're a professional. You've convinced me that you want this, assuming it is what I say it is. So I'm willing to put you in this box of elevated customer, hold this coffee for you at my own expense with no sort of uh, obligation on your part because I want to deepen our relationship. Right, but so if you're sitting in my shoes, you know who are you going to do that with? You're going to do that with everybody? No, you're not going to do that with everybody. You're going to do that with people who have, who have shown that they're um, in a place where that's going to be a good proposition for both of us. Right. So, um, so that SAS piece, it's like learn what it is, have the conversation with as many people as you need to have with what it's. I have the what is SAS conversation three times a week. I wrote a blog post about it on our website, and I, you know, people read it and then still come to me and ask me questions. It's like because it's the thing, right? It's the only way you're going to get coffee. By the time coffee gets here, as Mark said, it's picked over, right? And so uh, you have to learn what it is, but you have to learn how to use it because it's great power and great responsibility. So, um, again, our purpose is not to run through all of how you use it, but to tell you that it's super important and um, you need to use it responsibly. Uh, But if you do, it can be the difference between getting the coffees that that, that are available versus the coffees that you want, which can often be very different things. Going to replace? Uh, replace. So there are two reasons to do SAS contracts. One is because there is a snowflake of a coffee that uh, you 
absolutely want to have and have to have, and you want to make sure nobody else buys it, but you want to cup it first. Totally reasonable. So that's, that's the reason that you would buy a coffee. That coffee is, good, is unique, and therefore we would do this NAS, NANS contract because we can't replace it, right? If you don't like it, there's nothing else. So let's agree to not do the business if that's the case. Sometimes people want to, to uh, make a commitment on coffee that's not here yet because the price that we're offering right now is fantastic. Uh, or they, um, they just have a need and they need to book the quantity um, and you know, everything else looks, looks good. Um, and the only, thing, the only thing separating us from finalizing the transaction is time because the coffee's not here yet. In which case, we would do what we call SAS replace. Coffee arrives you don't like it, we keep offering other coffees against that contract until you do like something. So you've committed to the business, you just haven't committed to the particular coffee until you've approved the sample. That is something that we do with huge trust, right? Because that's, we've agreed that we have a, a future transaction that we have to finalize together. So that's, that's something. So in a day like today, if you're a larger roaster and you know you're going to need five containers of coffee uh, next year and the market just dropped 10 cents and you don't even know what you need yet, we will actually do that business with you. All right, five lots of September 2018. Sure, at some point we'll talk about what we're going to put against it, right? That's a customer who has put themselves into a place to do great things for their company by locking in a market level at a really good place. And they've done that by consistently applying these principles. So, so if, if you're a wholesale, how many of you are wholesalers here? Just predominantly do wholesale? SAS replace, as well as what we call TBD, which is what he's referring to, is, is ability for you to quote like a grocery store, I can offer you this wholesale price for the next year because you've already locked in the market. And so you know what you're going to pay for coffee for the next year, and you know, your mar- you know what you're going to make on your margin when you offer your wholesale price out. So those of you that need to project forward for accounts that need, you know, because you, who deals with grocery here or deals with... You can't just change your pricing every week. There, like, you have to go and every time you do a price raise at a grocery store, you're holding your breath hoping they don't kick you out. And so to say, I can guarantee this price for two years puts you in a very strong position. But you have to have the discipline to know if I'm going to give you this price, then I have to go lock in that market because you can't then buy spot coffee with the market moving everywhere. All of a sudden, you know, price yourself out. And you've, you've, yes, you've maintained the grocery account, but you haven't made a profit on them in forever. This allows you to do that. So, um, so we've made reference to this being a preferred customer. Um, again, it, it's about the access that it grants you, whether it's access to coffees, access to preferred finance terms, access to uh, flexibility. This point Mark makes about being able to, to quote forward. Nobody is, is able to quote any further out than the coffee that's in their warehouse unless they have contracted for future prices because as the market is telling us over the last two days, the market can do whatever it wants at any given time. And if I knew what it was going to do, I certainly wouldn't be here. I'd be on a beach earning 20%. So um, we're just all at the mercy of the market until we lock it in. And once we know what it is, then we can do that for it. You don't need to be a big roaster to do that. You just need to be professional and uh, know the trade and do these things that we've laid out, and then you'll be preferred customer, and then we're willing to extend these extra uh, things to you, and that gives you the access uh, to that to these extra levels of, of effectiveness. So um, this is a bit of a, of a recap in terms of the qualities, but again, communication. Um, we talked about payment. Uh, let's talk about forecasting. So we talked about knowing what you want. 
right? Um, I'll be very sort of binary about this. Good coffee buyers have a forecast and a spreadsheet that they live and die by, and, and uh, mediocre coffee buyers don't, flat out, right? And so um, if you, uh, once you buy coffee, you update that you've made the commitment. Once you roast coffee, you take it out of your inventory as you get sales projections from that function of your company, or you get new accounts, you, you increase your needs you, moving forward, you know which coffees that you have to take by certain times based on the contracts you've written, and that's a living document that's constantly being updated and groomed, and that allows you to then say yes to things when they come in front of you. Otherwise, hey, I've got this coffee, it's in your wheelhouse, it's the right price, I don't know if I need it. That sounds like a lot, or those, are, those tells us that you don't have a forecast. And so we're less comfortable to do a long-term contract with you. Because if you don't know if you need it, then you're going to end up with too much coffee. And then that puts everyone in a bad spot, right? So I would say, um, and it's not like a, uh, I won't ask for hands because you know, we're not here to shame people, but if you're a coffee buyer and you don't have a living forecast, aside from learning contracts terms, that's the other thing to spend the majority of your time on right now is, is a forecast. And it can be a simple Excel document. I started with a one, one cell typing in, uh, you know, coffee name uh, in the upper left. And by the time I left my last buying job, it was 15 tabs and, you know, out column ZZ kind of thing, right? So. Yeah, and secondly to that, I mean, when we uh, converse with buyers a lot, we'll say, like, you know, what are your needs for, let's say, a Colombian, you know, UGQ quality for the year? And they say, well, we, we need 50 bags, 50 bags spread how? Well, you know, a year divided by, you know, 50. Your business does not work at that flat rate. You have peaks, peak months and lower months. And, and if I, the more I can narrow that down to, you know, you need more in the fall and less in the spring, it, then we start manipulating carry costs and ways to save you even more money. So this is about trying to shave pennies off for you. I'll sell you the even spread if you want it, but you're in, a, in the long run going to pay more for these coffees in many cases than you need to be. So having that spreadsheet as accurate as possible for how your business, you know, your flow rate of coffee is, is very essential. It will save you a considerable amount of money in the long run. Yeah, and it keeps you from running out of coffee too. Right. We've learned uh, all over time that you can't roast air. So you need But air you can air roast coffee. You can, yes. Yeah. Um, Sampling. Uh, solicited versus unsolicited. Huge distinction. Um, so if I send you a sample just because I found something and I like it, um, when do you owe me a response? Trick question. Never. You don't owe me a response at all. It'd be nice if you gave me one, but um, you know, if I shotgun blast you with samples that you didn't ask me for, that's on me. Um, if you ask me for a sample, when do you owe me an answer? Or feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one yeah. way or the other. So those of you who are thinking two weeks, eh. <laughs> we, we, like, we tend to, to ask people for three days, three business days. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that, first of all, in any given import house, there's uh, anywhere between five and ten traders actively selling the coffee that was sent to you. So the chance that you're going to spend the time to roast it, cup it, put feedback together, and come back and say you want to buy it and have it be gone is very high. Uh, and so uh, timeliness matters. The other thing is, is that... Um, Sampling is, is pretty expensive. Um, it's basically every time FedEx goes out the door full of samples, we go, you know, 40 bucks, 40 bucks, 40 bucks, 40 bucks, which is cost of doing business, and we're happy to do it. But people who never give, it's not even that they never buy, but just never even respond to the samples that they ask for. Um, 
are not moving themselves towards that box of people that we want to do higher levels of business with, right? And so um, when we get feedback from people that says, even if I love to get feedback that says, none of those coffees worked for me and here's why. That's great. That's awesome. Because then I'm like, okay, I can never offer these kinds of coffees again. I'm this much closer to knowing what they need, to being more effective to help them, uh, and to have a better conversation with them about what we can do, right? I mean, telling me no on samples is awesome. Telling me nothing hurts both of us, right? And so you should have a, a, something in your head about when you ask for samples, uh, do I have time to follow up on these samples? You know, asking for samples uh, uh, the day before your two-week vacation to Aruba is probably not great, right? You know, it's just, it's just asking us to uh, set money on fire, which, you know, we'll do, but at the end of the day, you know, nothing's free. Right. So uh, sampling um, is, again, one of those things where how you treat samples and how you respond to samples um, uh, can enhance or limit your effectiveness as, as a coffee bar. And on, on top of that, you know, we, we have a, at our company an automated a website where you can do this stuff on your own, but we still see everything. And so if you're a roaster who's like, I just want, I'm going to keep requesting samples, but I'm learning, not a cup. And I just want to go through, you know, cup, cup, cup all day long. I, I'm inviting my friends over. We're going to cup. We're not a school. We're, just, we're not here to teach you how to cup. And so, like Rob's saying, every time that sample box goes out, it's 40 bucks, 40 bucks, sometimes even more. If you, you know, I get, we get sample requests. Somebody's asking for 30 samples of completely unrelated coffees just all over the map. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, well, I, looking at this, I'm, I'm confused. Then you find out, well, they're just learning how to cup. They're just learn. I want to taste a Cameroon. Now I want to taste a Malawi. Now I want to taste a Tanzania. That's great, man. That's what this show's for. Go do that here. But it's then the importers get really frustrated because that's they know they're never going to sell you anything, and because you're doing it to us, you're doing it to Royal, you're doing it to Inter American, and or you post on Instagram. Here's my cupping room with one thousand samples piled on a table. That's great. That that just is the last time we're ever going to talk to you because we all have Instagram as well, even though we're older gents. But we still we still get on it. Um, it's like posing next to the bike you stole. <laughs> yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Um, at that point, it's more effective for us to come visit you or for you to come visit us and cup with us. We cup every day. We cup every range of quality you can imagine. And if you are working with an importer that's close in proximity to you. Go visit them. Go say, what time do you guys cup? I want to jump in on that. That is a great way to learn. And you're also in a room with a bunch of cuppers that are seasoned professionals that want to have dialogue and, and will accelerate your education much faster than doing it on your own and, and soliciting free samples. Yeah, and I would say, just as a side note on that, um, we're talking about learning a trade. And uh, so even though we're in specialty, the coffee trade is, is large and vast, and you'll never get uh, exposed to the lower grades of coffee, um, to the things that go wrong if you're just getting top-grade samples all the time. So putting yourself in, in situations where you can learn while cupping, um, whether it's at Origin, at trade shows, uh, visiting importers, or, or other, um, makes you more professional because uh, when something finally slips through the filter and gets to you that is, is wrong, you'll know what it is, right? Now, that's, that's a buyer who can do that is really valuable to their company. So we can say, you know, because otherwise what we see a lot is, you know, a sample will, will slip through and it's, it's got potato or it's over-fermented or it's, or, and, um, and the buyer will come back and say, yeah, that was super interesting. 
it's like, wow, no, that was like a huge mistake. But you think it's interesting because you haven't tasted anything else. So you're not bad, you're not wrong, you've just never tasted that mistake before, right? But, you know, so um, getting the opportunity to cup through all the things that coffee has to offer, even the ones that seem like they should come with an antidote, uh, is, is really important. And so it's sort of outside the scope of what we're talking about here, but I, I can't re- recommend it enough. Yeah, I mean, when I was in college, one of the most popular wine, I mean, aside from like the high-end French wine classes, was the defective component wine classes because you got to taste everything that can go wrong with making wine. And with coffee, it's important to seek out and find as many defects as you can uh, because that, that's a huge uh, help for you to identify these things when they come up. Because not that this, you know, this is a little bit off track, but if you're buying a whole container of coffee, if you're in doing that, and we sign a contract and I send you a sample and you come up with a defect that I don't because they draw it randomly and I could not have it pop in my cups, but it can pop in your cups, and you don't identify it and you accept the contract, you just bought crap and you paid top dollar for it. And then later when your customer complains, like, it tastes like rotten fruit. And then you call me like, hey, man, what happened here? I didn't get ferment, but let's check. I'll cup and I'll find it. But at that point, you approved it and you were drawn on it and you're stuck with it. So this is a way to, to avoid losing a lot of money. Or, you know, if, if I'm sending you an, an arrival sample and you're like, I, I got to get on the road. I'm going to Bolivia, so I'm just going to approve it. That is a gigantic mistake. So um, it's better to communicate. I need a week to, to uh, you know, go through the sample. I'm about to travel so we give you the fair shake. But if you accept it sight unseen, stuff happens, and we don't always catch it. If we catch it, we usually call you and tip you off to it. But if it's to avoid, that could cause a huge breakdown in the relationship. If you get really angry over that and you're trying to blame me on that when it was really you didn't take the time to cup through your sample and, and really know what you were buying. Yep. So, um, yeah, these landmines in, in the relationship, they usually come from lack of, of knowledge of how the trade works, right? And again, there's, everyone's getting into coffee. There's no coffee buyer school, uh, and there's no level of sort of apprenticeship. So it's like um, if you sort of apply uh, general business principles to some of these things in coffee, um, you know, the sort of customer's always right uh, mentality, that breaks down in some specific areas of coffee. Right? So it's important to, to know that when you're dealing with contract terms about sample approval, things like that, there's norms around that, and, um, and they may not be intuitive. So super important to, to learn that stuff again. Uh, we talked about forecasting. Um, really what we mean with, with this slide about, about calculating is um, there's, there's two aspects. First of all, again, the market's just dropped this, this huge amount. The people who know what price they need uh, or know what, what is going to be a, a fantastic uh, opportunity for their business, they've already done the deal, right? No one's, they're not thinking about it anymore. The, the, the red light went on on their dashboard, and they went, yep, push the button, right? And so, uh, and that's because they have a forecast. They, under, they have all the levers uh, in their business of what they need, and they're like, this works. This is a great opportunity for us. I can say yes without reservation, Right, and so um, that ability to seize opportunities comes from constant calculating and an- analyzing and recalculating, um, and there's there's some levels to that. Right, uh, whenever you're, uh, especially if you're in wholesale, uh, you're uh, buying when you're when you're setting pricing, you're setting it not on what you paid for it, but what it's going to cost to replace it. 
So if you're not, you need to start thinking about that, right? Because coffee crops can, uh, pricing can change dramatically from year to year. And if you don't make the money to buy the more expensive coffee next year, this year, then you're in trouble, right? And so um, how do you find out what things are going to cost next year? Well, no one can tell you with 100% certainty until you write a contract, but that's the conversation with people like us. You know, what, what are we thinking about differentials for next year? What's the market look like? What's your intelligence? We have people who sit in, all of the importers have people who sit in Switzerland and, and Singapore and all these places and just look at the market and they're economists and they, and they do this kind of stuff. They're still wrong 40% of the time. But at, at the very least, we're, we're gathering information on the ground. We, we know what's up and we can, we, you know, we can have directional conversations with you. Yeah, this, if, if you need to have, have a stable price for next year, you'd probably be good to lock it in now, those kinds of conversations, right? Um, and uh, we can have those conversations with people who have done the calculations, have done the analysis, have done the math, are in touch with what their business needs, and then they can make decisions based on, on what a variety of people are telling them, not just one source. Um, but uh, if they don't know that, then all these things just slip by, right? Uh, the, the other thing is, is that... Uh, and this is a bit related to payment terms, but some of you will remember if you've been in, in the business more than a couple of years, we, we had $3 market a few years ago. Um, and the people who are no longer around were the people who didn't understand what their business needed. They didn't understand how to, how to uh, average the prices they had, the prices they needed. Uh, they, they hadn't done their forward contracting. They hadn't paid their bills on time. And so their, their um, credit was not extended. Uh, so they needed twice as much. They needed the same amount of coffee for twice as much money, but their credit line didn't go up. Couldn't borrow money anymore. Uh, like all those kinds of things, those are all baked up together in one sort of soup, right? And, and that it, happens quick because the market shoots up. That could all happen overnight. Yeah, and so um, you know, we know, and by we I mean the, the larger we of the, of the trade know who's a good bet and who's not when the going gets tough, and we know how you, by that by how you interact in your day-to-day -day business. You have a forecast. You paid your bills on time. You know what you need. You're good at contracting. It's like, yeah, we should extend their credit terms because, you know, this, that's great. These guys are flying by the seat of their pants. They don't know what they want. Um, probably let's do prepay on these guys, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And it happens, right? It's cold. It's, it's, um, but, you know, you, the reason that we're here is to talk about how do you get better at this. Right, and those are the those are the considerations. Um, those tough days they happen. They happen quick. Um, and there's a, you know we we pay we play camp counselor on those days where we have to sort of talk people off the ledges. But um, the people who've done the pre-planning, they're a lot uh, in a lot better position. They're usually not on the ledge when that when that happens. So. But that that uh, Rob's point about replacement costs is much more relevant to you guys that are doing the grocery wholesale and long-term wholesale contracts, that's where that becomes much more of an important dialogue. If you have a coffee house that you're roasting in or a cafe, you have a lot more fluidity on pricing. Your customers can get their price raised tomorrow and they're not going to dump you in mass. To lose a grocery chain in one phone call would be devastating. So uh, just because you bought coffee cheap today doesn't mean you're going to get it cheap next year. So when we, when we start to talk about the type of business that you have, if you are in wholesale and you do have large institutional accounts that need steady pricing, it helps us to know that because then the dialogue changes from the market today versus a forward market or replacement costs. So we're hearing that differentials are going to go up next year. We need to start having that conversation with you when, we, when we're doing the transaction.
Right. So we've spent some time talking about what makes uh, a buyer preferred um, and you know, the position that you're trying to be in. So now let's flip the tables and talk about who's, who, are some peop- who are the kind of people that you should be doing business with, uh, at least in our opinion, right? Um, and so these are some of the, the points that we came up with. And I think um, it's a given that your importer should understand coffee. That's the business that they're in. Um, but it's really about whether they can understand your business. For us, that's, that's the value, is, is can they, uh, have they seen enough of what you do, they're not just a pure trader, to uh, understand your problems and understand what sort of things would be an opportunity for you. Those are the, those are the relationships, and, and those, you know, I'm used to, again, I, when I started, it was m- more in the family business uh, kind of model. Those uh, trader-buyer uh, relationships that last 20 years, it's based on this kind of stuff. It's based on you know what I need, you, you feel my pain, um, you're constantly there to help, um, and we have this two-way communication relationship. Those can get built every day, or they can be destroyed by, um, you know, being unprofessional, but it's, it's, it's finding the, the people who give you the opportunity to have that sort of relationship. Uh, the knowledge about the roasting business, uh, this is vital for you guys. There's not a lot of traders that have been on that side of the fence, uh, which is why Rob and I continue to keep our jobs. Um, but if you do know that, it helps immensely. If you tell me I'm in the, the I do wholesale to restaurants, I do uh, a cafe, I'm looking to do a blend to get my foot in the door at a hotel, if that importer knows how to put that together for you and how to hit the price point you're looking for, that's a gigantic help for you. But if they're just saying, well, I can sell you coffee and I can throw some things in front of you and I can talk to market, that doesn't get you closer to where you need to be. And so the, the conversations I like to have with my clients is the last thing I really want to talk about is green coffee. What I'm more interested in is, hey, I'm looking to hire a sales rep. How did you do it? I'm looking to get in a grocery. How do I get, you know, get better presence on the shelf? Do I do demos? Do I hire a demo person? Uh, what type of roaster should I buy? You know, I'm looking at different roasters. What have you had experience with or what have you seen or what, do, you, what is your, do your customers like to work on? That's the fun dialogue that helps you build your business. The green coffee will happen on its own. But it's, I can answer these other questions for you so it's a much deeper and broader relationship than just buying and selling green coffee, which becomes about price at that point or service. And that's fine if that's all you need. But ultimately, you're growing, and you're going to need that, that next step advice that we may or may not have already done, and we may or may not have made huge mistakes that we could avoid uh, you taking on as well. Yeah. And you're going to gravitate to a supplier that clicks with you on a number of levels, including on a personal level. Um, you know, So like I'm sort of gruff, uh, cynical Boston guy, and uh, not everyone likes me for some reason. I don't really know why. Shocker. It's a shocker. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so if you're, if you're you know, uh, super enthusiastic and energetic and, uh, you, you know, we might not have the best relationship, there is someone who works on my team that is custom-made for you, right? And there's someone who works at another importer who's, who's sort of exactly like that, right? And so you're going to cast around and talk to different people and be like, I really like talking to this person, and they have all these other things. And that matters, because uh, this is a relationship that will absolutely go through good times and bad times, 100%. There's never, I have no customers that I have no rainy days with. I mean, it's like sooner or later something either goes wrong, coffee shows up late, coffee shows up 
outside of quality, they don't pay their bill, like there's something all the time, right? And it's, it's up and down, and again, that's where temperament comes in. And so having that sort of uh, relationship on a personal level as well as on a professional level uh, matters, right? So you have, to, you have to click with the person, and, and you gotta understand that uh, in every import house, there's a, a roster of traders, and, and uh, sooner or later you can find the one that really sort of um, makes you feel comfortable doing the business there. You know, nobody likes Mark, but <laughs> we're, you know. Well, it, it, that may or may not be true, but uh, the, uh, the thing that the, the trading companies don't understand is that the nature of the relationship with specialty buyers, and that's where Rob and I, when we got into this side of the field, it was a lot of um, having to fight conventional wisdom within a trading company. When I was a buyer, I couldn't stand... Um, importers that were like used car salesmen. Hey, hey, what do you need today? Hey, buddy, you know, can I sell you this? And can I get you into the, you know behind the seat of this, you know, whatever coffee? And it was like, man, I, I just don't have time for this. And so I really gravitated towards very passive importers that were we, I could have a conversation with. And I didn't feel like I was being sold half the time. And then when I became an importer, I swore I would never become that person. But the the, the so people that we work for would say. Oh, but you got to get in their face, and you need to go out and, and really hustle them. It's like, no, you don't. That's a turnoff to most people. And maybe in the commercial world, that crap works. But here, it just rubs people the wrong way. And, you know, in many cases, we've, we've had previous import jobs where they were like, no, you don't get it. And, and it's like, no, you don't get it, and we're leaving because this is never going to work. And then those, those companies seem to drift out of specialty because they, they lose touch. They don't understand the culture of the buyer. If you look at this room of the buyers around here and take a good look at everybody, and then you go to like the NCA convention, it's a different breed of person that's the buyer there. And for me, I'd rather slit my wrist than go hang out with those types of buyers. And this is more of a room that I could work with. I understand I was that that buyer. And so the import companies you know, are old and established and hundreds of years old and things like that. And there's a, a need for them to get with the times as well to understand what's best, what works best for you guys. Yeah. So being able to advocate for yourself, for your business, uh, for what you need, uh, super important skill because you are uh, working a bit on institutional resistance. And remember, the, the especially coffee uh, industry was sort of founded in revolution against the commercial, and it's built in the, on the skeleton of that business model, right? So we're talking about, uh, you know, 150 years of infrastructure for trading coffee, uh, and now we are uh, sort of breaking that and remolding it in a way to get the right coffees from, you know, from, um, from farmer to roaster to consumer in a way that's, that's trace, traceable and valuable and meaningful and sustainable, and there's a lot of... Uh, you know, breaking things and in, in putting them back together for that to work, and you're part of that, right? And so your ability to, to be professional, to, to uh, speak for what you need and, and do it in a way that um, allows that business to be done is actually part of the, of the revolution, right? It's, it's part of what moves us forward. So um, having that point of view and advocating for that point of view, you never need to apologize for that. That's just, 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 yep, just part of what you're doing. So uh, back to my... Um, my favorite compliment. It's always great to work with professionals. So, having said that, Q and A. Um, feel free to uh, just raise your hand if you want to use the microphone in the middle. You're certainly welcome to. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Um, I've been talking to uh, Ethiopians, Kenyans, and others about uh, what essentially is a government uh, liberalization of the uh, small growers' cooperatives to be able to send stuff direct, direct. out. And uh, just hope you'd give me some insights in that and share that with the room. I'm, I'm presuming there's some benefits to that for specialty coffee, but there's also some logistical challenges with infrastructure and all this kind of stuff. Like direct trade kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. So chat yeah. if you would. Well, I can, I'll give a quick answer to that, and then Rob will give you another quick answer. I, when I was a roaster, I had an all-organic roasting company, an organic farm, and I had to do a lot of direct business because there just wasn't that supply channel back in the day. And then the whole direct trade kind of movement exploded in different directions, and it has different meanings. I would say that uh, it's a mixed bag. It doesn't always benefit the farmer. I could tell you that right now, uh, statistically, and, and uh, that there's not always a win-win in that relationship. I could also say, conversely, that you as a coffee buyer, if you dying to get into direct trade, you, sh you really need to know how this thing works because 99% of the time, at least currently, what you're getting is coffee that's worse quality and you're spending a lot more money for it. And it's not that the farmer's getting one over on you or um, that somehow there's some shenanigans going on. What ends up happening is this, is that somebody's inevitably going to come up to us when this talk's over, and they're going to say, hey, I'd like to work with you. I've, I I'm doing a direct trade deal right now. I want you guys to help me bring in. I bought a coffee. It's sitting in Guatemala right now. And I'm like, great. So by the time I find you room on my ship, it's going to be three months from now. So now you got coffee that's going past crop because you bought it before you talked to anybody and you got a city in some hot city baking away on a dock somewhere. So in that kind of deal, you want to get a hold of an importer that you're working with and say, I'm thinking about going down this road. And we pre-get the, the area on the boat for you in our containers and we get that clear. And if we're going to mill it for you, that would be another thing. The farmer delivers to our mill. We'll do it for you and get it moving. We need to know a lot more uh, information, and the sooner the better to make that happen. And there's almost like a, a, you know, welcome to direct trade starter kit we want to give people because there's a lot to it. We do a lot of that movement. Most of, of, of I would say, um, the big names that you hear that are doing direct trade stuff, it's all going through us. But logistically, it's a lot more complicated. There's a lot more back-and-forth dialogue that needs to happen, uh, and it can... Um, it can work. The second question is, why are you doing it? What are you hoping to get out of this type of way of buying and selling and having us talk you through whether or not that's the right route for you to be doing this? Because there are other ways to have a trade relationship that may be more beneficial than that particular one. Yeah, the one thing I would add to that is, is um, there used to be this ambivalence between uh, um, sort of like importers and the concept of direct trade. It's like, oh, you're cutting this out. No, that's not what it is. Um, there is, there is though, this sense of, like, if you're going to um, bypass certain parts of a, of a system, you have to understand those parts well when you're going to bypass them, right? And so what is it that happens? What is this? Uh, you can't say magic, right? What is the thing that happens from the time a, a coffee leaves a mill to the time it arrives at Continental Warehouse or, or the NX, right? Those things that, that happen are... Um, uh, expensive uh, and have risk associated with them and are best done at scale. Uh, and so if you cut those out and you, you take responsibility for doing them yourselves, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, you, if you don't understand them, then it ends up being um, potentially uh, devastating for, for your company. And so uh, also there's the what do you do at origin piece. If you're buying um, 
you know, cherry picking, like taking best pieces of best lots from individual farmers, you have to remember that what's left over is stuff, is still coffee that they have to sell. Um, and so uh, if that's not reflected in the pricing that you're paying, then you're actually ultimately uh, causing a negative impact at the farm level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what we do, uh, what, what happens is farmers like to deal with, uh, sometimes like to deal with larger entities, whether it's a larger roaster or, a large, or, a, or an exporter, because they'll buy everything, right? And then it's one transaction, right? And so um, if you're going to get in at that level, understand all that and see how you can be a part of the total solution and not just, hey, I got this really sweet coffee. Kind of thing. So, and again, we're happy to talk through that. That's a big piece of our business. Mr. Ferguson, what can I do for you? I, I was, I was literally going to say magic. Um, magic, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to re reiterate your point, Mark, about um, about uh, blending. And uh, the, the, it was like early on. Your I actually have six questions, but sure. I think we'll just stick with a, you know, like a, a comment, and then hopefully just like one quick one. But uh, I was recently in Papua New Guinea. Uh, thank you uh, for setting that up going to outspan we had a great cupping of about 20 30 different y grades i don't know y grade might not be specialty but it was special enough and uh, it wasn't actually that bad so there's your promo um but it was interesting because the the um the export uh, at, at the warehouse the milling station um i forgot his name but but he he did some magic he he wrote he uh provided these these uh these single y grade uh lots and uh, some PSC or whatever, and the Y grades were better than PSC, so it was kind of like a whatever that day tasted better, but I, I tasted them separately. We graded them, you know, like a couple point difference, and, uh, and then he had this other one that, that, that uh, graded higher, and uh, later he revealed that he just took those two lower graded samples, combined them together at a right blending proportion, and actually tasted better together. Yeah. So two, two poor grade, well, two less uh, Y grade uh, equaled a, a better one together. So I love the blending thing. That was right. a great insight. So you should take that to the bank. Speaking of which, we should probably lock in some Peru, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, why don't you charge for samples? Because I don't want to be that guy. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, we, we buy significant amount of containers. Right. Um, and I understand the 32, I was like, wow, who does that? Right. That's crazy. A lot of people. And it's $40 per sample. We would be willing to pay. Is that you? Yeah, it's you. We would be willing to pay. I mean, I, I think I, I've been a buyer for many different sizes yeah. of companies, but it, it becomes complicated, I'm sure, as far as like, you know, well, you could pay $40 for a sample, but who's going to do that? But if you're buying a container, it might be worth it for me to go ahead and say, yeah, let's do it. Or yeah. five containers or 10 containers. Um, what was my other point? Well, why don't we charge for samples? I mean, if, if you're, if you're yeah. uh, giving us feedback and doing business with us, you're not that guy. Right. It's just that simple. Yeah, yeah we're oh, happy to give you all the samples you want. And another thing is, like, um, at what point are, uh, would it financially benefit roasters to uh, diversify their importation relationships, or is it better to just stick with one importation? Not, not to say you have to actually have to. Yeah, no, I, I, I would say diversify. Yep. Right. But diversify, not super broad. Going with one house gets tricky because then, you know, if things go wrong, that was your one source and it dried up. Yeah. So I never recommend anybody just go. When someone says, hey, I want to give you all my business, I'm like, well. Well, could you recommend for, for me? It's like I, I don't want to, you know, take too many bids and, and call around five or six people say, well, right. they were three cents cheaper. Why, you know, it, it's a lot of nitpicking, but it comes down to like 10 containers that kind of adds up. Or So 
there's a lot more to, to that. Yeah, I would say three or, three or four is a good number. Yes, and you do that, you know, you're making those phone calls and doing that. But ultimately, it's, it's four people that are serving you and connect with all with you and understand what you're doing. And we, you know, and then I work with the other importers. I mean, I love, like John Cassetta Royal and, yeah. and you know, Joe Morocco at Cafe Imports. These are great guys. And I just sometimes, I, I hope I'm not being, you know, too harsh or annoying to be saying, like, hey, well, I've got four other people on the table, so what, what can we talk about? It's an honest so, dialogue. Yeah. yeah. So I'd suggest doing that. And, For uh, sure. You know, spread yeah. your wings. and. Uh, you I would work, take work that over no call. phone call any day of the week. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. I have a question for you. I met, uh, I met a, a gentleman this morning from Rwanda, put all his resources, blood and sweat, and uh, he's uh, attained four containers. And here he is, put all his money to get to SEA. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't really know too much, but he's got his four containers. So then he meets up with the two of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Work with him. Let me see what you'd have to say to, to him. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's a common uh, story. Uh, the two common stories are, are that one or... My, I uncle, was, my uncle's got a farm. My uncle's got a farm, but also I was in the Peace Corps and I lived in this community and they, they really need the help and, you know, please buy for me. And then that they don't have an understanding of coffee and what ends up happening is that they're selling undergrades and really bad stuff. But they're trying to help the people as best they can. And so that, um, you know, those connections, usually with Rwanda, it's better to work with local mills and local washing stations to create that dialogue. The, the, the harsh truth here is that, especially during, who was in the business in like the late 90s? God, are we that old? Jeez-o. Just uh, you. Just you are that old. Uh, God, so uh, anyways, but the market was at like 63 cents, which at that point, the cost of production is a dollar. So for every dollar that farmer's spending, he's only getting back 63 cents. There, and the average income for a, a farmer is $2,500 a year. The average, uh, uh, there's five children per average farm family. Average holding is four acres of land globally. That is nothing. And so to be have your income cut in half... Is, is devastation. And these farmers scrambled everything they could t- to come here. They would have these sample bags, and it would be like, please, you know, they would meet you in the front of the, the parking lot. Please buy my coffee. Like, they, they were, this was serious, serious desperation. And you, your heart went out to these farmers, and we'd get these samples, and it would have the name of the coffee, but no way to contact this farmer ever again. And it was just really sad to see that happening. And or farmers are walking the floor trying to solicit people in the booth, which is the worst way to sell coffee because all that coffee gets thrown in the garbage can. It's better to ha- you know give me your card, talk to me about what you're doing, and then later send the samples to my QC lab, and then have us go through it and give you the honest attention that your samples deserve to create that relationship that you're talking about. And that's doable. But bringing you know having four containers to sell now is you know when really the harvest was in December. Uh, you know, November, and the coffees are shipping, you know, January is when they arrive, that coffee's probably going to be a little bit long in the tooth at this point. Yeah, don't forget that, uh, just like we were talking about building relationships with roasters, we have to build those same relationships with suppliers, and that's trust that comes over time, because whenever I sell something, it, what is presupposed in that is the fact that I bought something, and many times those two are disconnected. Um, I, buy, I sell something that I don't have yet, or I uh, buy something I haven't sold yet. So a lot of trust and risk in there. That's why we do business with 
people that show themselves to be reliable and professional over time. So that takes time. So yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm transitioning into a green buyer position, and the owner of the company is doing it right now and has built really great relationships with all the importers. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering how to, um, especially kind of being overwhelmed today. Okay, uh, good. No, how, to, how to ease into it kind of and learn the most um, as fast as possible, I guess, and maintaining yeah. those relationships with those importers. What is your advice? Do you have the ability to shadow this person? I mean... Yes, but not the best communicator. Yeah. Uh -huh. okay. yeah. So, so we've all worked for that person before. Mm -hmm. uh, my suggestion He's to you... He's been that person before. I've right? been that person yeah. before. Uh, <laughs> my, my best advice to you is shadow what you can, but ideally have your boss introduce you to the traders that he's currently working with. And find out from your boss what expectation does he have. Because when you do finally, you know, when you're in this role and it's your role and you have the latitude to do your job, you may find that you connect better with different importers. And as long as you're delivering the same quality and, the, you know, the same level that this company is expecting from you, that you're, the type of people that you connect with is going to be different than, if, especially if he's a poor communicator, who he connected with. And so it's, it's, First, it's, a, it's good to see his current supply channel, go meet with them, really have dialogue, and, and admit, look, I'm just learning this, I'm transitioning. We're not, you know, we, we were all there. So if we're sympathetic to that, we'll give you the time to get you up to speed and answer your questions. And if they're like, you know what, I don't have time for this. That's a red flag. Guess right? what? Yeah. It's time for you to go shopping around and find somebody you actually like to, to deal with every day. And clear that in advance with your boss. Eventually, if, if I find that I can find the same quality or better quality and cheaper prices and have a better relationship or, or my own unique relationship, do I have the ability to make that shift? That's what you need to know because most likely you will. Very few times have I heard, you know, John Ferguson's a prime example. Where, where did John go? Did he just... He's back there. Yeah. So, like, you know, when he leaves a company, the, new, the person who was there before him may not deal with this anymore. And, but we follow wherever John goes because we're like, you know, I still want to be working with him. And that happens all the time. And, and, and oftentimes John will go into a company and start buying for them, and he'll switch it up. He'll, he'll use different suppliers and, or suppliers that he knows and trusts and that have been working for him for years. And that's perfectly okay. But admit that you're, you're new to the job, be open to learning, and, and have your company try to resource you to go visit your importers, cup with them, have questions, you know, yeah. ask the questions that you want to ask. There's no bad question, and don't be embarrassed to ask stuff that, that you would think is supposed to be obvious, because there's no such thing. Yeah. If you want to have a really long conversation, though, it's always good to schedule, like, you know, schedule the time, hey, you know, like 4 o'clock on a, on a Thursday is better than uh, noon on Tuesday because we're all in market hell, that kind of thing, you know. But uh, we have those conversations daily. I mean, you are by no means unique. I mean, it's just happening all the time. There's constantly people moving into, moving into to the job. They need to learn the ropes. Um, looking at someone behind you that I spent some time talking with, and he's become a very successful uh, buyer in his own right. And it's, it's the kind of thing that... Um, uh, if an importer is good, they want to teach you because they'll make that relationship with you. And then, as Mark said, my, my relationship is not with the companies I deal with. It's with the buyers of the companies I deal with. It's that simple. And so you, you're going to become that person. It's going to take time and practice. But, yeah, good luck. 
Yeah. <laughs> we have seven minutes. We'll also give you, if you guys have any questions further, we have cards up here. We'd be more than happy to answer any follow-up questions that you may have. We do this presentation every year. Uh, we enjoy it immensely, and nothing makes us happier than to uh, help you guys improve yourself, and that goes outside this classroom as well. Yeah. So. Yes, sir. Hi. Well, uh, back to your topic, you say everybody has that angle that has the power. Yep. Um, I came to the Expo for a different purpose, uh, and I know for yeah, so I'm going to jump the premise of your question a, a little bit, right? And so um, at the end of the day, wants the uh, best price for the coffee and, a, and sustainable, to be, be able to make the farm a, a viable business that, and stay farming and, and and you know, farming is a business, right? It's also a passion for a lot of people, but at the end of the day, it's a business. So the question is, what's the best route to do that, right? And um, in some countries where there's not a lot of access to great coffees, being a single farmer with a certain amount of coffee and uh, making that direct relationship, whether it's an estate or a, or a special preparation or you know something like that, makes a lot of sense. Um, other times, if you're in an environment where there's a lot of good grade coffee and you're trying to jump outside that system, it's actually going to just end up causing you a lot of pain and heartache and, and less, making less money. Um, so the first question I would ask is... And Peru's one of those countries. Peru's one of those countries is, is what ex existing export chain can I align myself with that will give me transparency and exposure to the, ultimate, to the end buyer? Or right? joining a cooperative that actually gives you strength and, and will protect you when, in the market movements and things like that. It, depending on the size of the farm, it may make more sense, you know, if, if you're like... Uh, you know, some of these larger growers that we know that, you know, have hundreds of acres or hectares, that, yeah, you're better off doing your own thing. But if you have 5, 10, 12 hectares, you might be better off in a cooperative uh, that, will, that has a much more, you know, strong protections for individual growers. Yeah. But, I mean, so there, there are export groups. Some of them are aligned with multinationals. Some of them are, are private. But they will, um, their ultimate clientele wants those traceable relationships. And so it's about getting the best coffee to them, working with them to get quality to where it needs to be so that they will put it in front of a customer and the customer will drive the relationship back down. And they'll, you know, I want to visit this farm. I want to make, I want to make this relationship. Going around the sort of traditional model can work, but it's the hardest road, I think. I think. And so that's my sort of short answer there. Yeah. Yeah, you thank you. Uh, do you. Do you mind just taking like two minutes to discuss Yep. FOTX Warehouse. Yeah. Sure. Differential. Okay. Sure. Okay. So Real quick, because we could we could do this. Differential versus fixed price coffees. So uh, my personal belief is that specialty, you know, differentially priced coffees is really a, a, a commercial coffee term. It doesn't really belong in specialty, but nevertheless, it is uh, what we do. Um, m many specialty coffee guys just are doing flat price coffee, fixed price coffee. So uh, for somebody, uh, you know, 
like the farmer here or, or, or you from Rwanda, Rwanda especially, they'll say, it costs me this much to grow, I need to make this much profit, I'm asking 250 for my coffee. That's a flat price. If you're a part of a larger, you know, like Colombia or Guatemala where you're a smaller farmer and, and there's thousands of farmers, these coffees get sold differentially. And differentially is the market plus whatever the in-country differential may be. So that's set, and that's what moves around. So we talk about forward pricing. The differential is what you know we're talking about here. And then you add on to things like higher grades, organic certification or fair trade, rainforest. Those add to the differential and give you this price. And then that becomes that, in addition to the market, becomes the price of coffee. But until you buy it, like if I if you call and you say how much for this quad I say plus fifty two and you're like what does that mean it's plus fifty two plus July's price right now because we're in July market so one twenty eight or I think close today one twenty eight plus let's say plus fifty and that's one seventy eight if you said I'll buy it but if you say okay it's plus fifty and then tomorrow the market goes up. It's plus 50 on that higher market than the lower market. Or if you, you know, so until you buy it, once you buy it, that's what's called fixing the coffee. Whether, you're not buying an actual future or anything if you're buying 10 bags or so, but you are in essence fixing the market at that price. And so the, what ends up happening usually is when the market drops, all of a sudden countries like Colombia's differentials will start to climb because they're trying to average out you know, the movement of the market. And conversely, if the market starts to climb, they'll lower their differentials because they want to be competitive with other countries. And so Honduras and Colombia watch each other all the time, and they're moving their differentials to remain competitive. But it's this fluid pricing that is also playing off the market. Once you say buy, then those things lock into place. Governmental organizations, coffee coffee associations like Anna Cafe and the and uh, the, uh, the the Colombian the Fed model are usually setting differentials. The thing I would add to that is that people who work in differentials are actively participating in the futures market, so they're hedged, right? And so they have a, a futures contract which covers the the supply and demand influence pricing throughout the world, and then they've they're setting a premium based on quality and logistics and all sorts of other circumstances. And so by nature, if you're dealing, if you've got a futures market position, you're a sophisticated player. And so when you're dealing with an import house, even if they're quoting you differentially, you're using their futures book. So when you say you want to do it, they're buying a futures contract or giving you a piece of a futures contract that they own. So it's deconstructed pricing. You have a final price, there's a market piece, there's a premium piece, and you add them together. When you add them together and when you fix those two is, is the conversation and is the negotiation. The only difference is that you can time when you fix the market, but you can't negotiate what the market is. I would also like the market to be a dollar, but it's not. It's a dollar forty or whatever, right? And so, so we can negotiate about the differential. And what you'll find with importers specifically is that when you're negotiating prices, unless it's a flat price coffee where it was flat all the way through, you're negotiating only the differential. We don't make money when the market goes up or down. Right. That's not where our, our money's in the differential. Your money's in the differential. So at the end of the day, you have to pay the final price of what those two add together. So if the market's really high, when you finally pull the trigger, your price is going to be really high. But, um, you know, if you are in that long-term conversation, you can find ways to uh, do business when the market's low, which is why we're doing a lot of business right now, because there are people who know what they want are coming in and saying, 
I can make money at this price. I'm decisive. I'm empowered. I know what I need. Let's do it. Except for if you're buying Rwandan coffees today that are usually fixed-price coffees. It doesn't matter where the market is. That coffee was already bought and sold or bought and sitting in our position as a flat-price coffee, so it doesn't move with the market. So when you hear like us or any importer say, hey, the market's down today, when you're looking at buying some coffee, make sure you're looking at differential coffees. Flat-price coffees make no difference, and you could buy any day of the week on that one. Um, that's the only deals to be had are those that are differentially priced. Great. Well, thank you very much, everyone. This is a great turnout. I appreciate your time. You've been listening to a talk from the SCA Lectures podcast series. To hear more on topics relevant to the specialty coffee industry, visit www.scanews.coffee and subscribe to this lecture series. Thanks for listening.